Hi everyone, my name's Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's a show that is full on Geordie for the next 24 hours. That's because of course Liverpool travel up to Newcastle tomorrow lunchtime, followed soon after by City heading to Leeds. Once more we go into the breach, dear friends. Once more, the result of the football match or two will determine our outlook for the foreseeable future. So naturally, we're going to be looking in depth at these crucial contests, as well as getting excited and nervous in equal moderation for Madrid next Wednesday. We'll also be addressing the hottest of hot takes, a detail that the City fan base and media at large seem to have strangely overlooked this season. Do City need a striker? <laughs> to discuss all this and more, I'm delighted to be joined by two Friday favourites in the form of Ali and Joe. Hi Ali, you well? I'm very well, thanks. I've uh, been having a good week, or I had been having a good week until about 20 minutes ago when I saw a tweet saying that Burnley want Vinnie Company to be their manager. Yeah. I am, I am now a, a, an absolute mess of turmoil and, and uh, whatever the uh, cognitive dissonance or whatever. It's like, no, we can't allow that to happen. But we're, that's not on the agenda today, so we'll just pretend that's never happened. Well, can you imagine how Lloyd's feeling right now? He loves for Claret. He's a huge Burnley fan. It's a dream gig for him. Um, Joe, you there? You well? I'm all good. I'm all good. I've Sorry. also seen this uh, this update, this concerning development. How do you feel so, about uh, it? Oh, man, it's just he's my favourite ever City player. Just class personification, isn't he? On and off the pitch, and, and I'd, I'd be loathe to see him at any any other English football club. It's hard enough seeing him go back to Anderlecht and that's his own club. So yeah. I will say, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Burnley and, and I kind of do hope they go down, frankly, this, this season. But Ben Mee, I'm a huge fan of. and um, Yeah, he's the top lad. Yeah, and the stance he took against that pathetic banner was, was superb. But also there's a, a, a Rob Beckett podcast called Bad Parenting and it's well worth checking out, uh, particularly if, if you're a recent parent as myself. Uh, the pod's worth checking out, but particularly the Ben Me episode, because the way he talks about being a Premier League footballer and being a parent, it's just, he came across really, really well. Yeah, he's a good lad. He's actually um, a close friend of, of one of my friends. Right. Uh, we went to school together. Um, and I think he's quite unlucky, Ben Me, in that if, if City, because City got uh, bought out, didn't they? Because if you remember, was he not the captain of the 2008 mm. youth winning team? He was, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think if, if, that takeover wouldn't have happened. It's quite possible they'd have had 350, 400 appearances for City mm. by now, but <laughs> yeah. it's just I one of those things. It was so down to earth, and um, yeah, yeah, I'd thoroughly recommend it. But Top never part. mind recommending other pods. What about our pod? And let's start <laughs> <laughs> with just kind of a quick look ahead at the momentous, potentially momentous kind of week we've got in the Champions League. Um, I'll start with you, you, Ali, a kind of straightforward question. Do you fancy us in the Bernabeu? Yeah. Straightforward answer, yeah, I do. Um, I think had we been going in, uh, e- even uh, you know nil nil or you know without uh, without a lead, uh, I would still have fancied us in the away leg because I think we've probably got a slightly better chance of of beating them uh, away than we do at home, just because of the yeah. pressure they will be under to attack and and uh, and when they open up, they just look so incredibly vulnerable. Um, I I feel lots of reasons for optimism. Um, First amongst them, kind of feel like uh, Real have been clinging on to uh, the, their Champions League run by their fingertips for five matches now, you know, yeah. uh, over over two ties with, or two legs with PSG, two legs with Chelsea, um, and kind of sooner or later their fingernails have to slip off the top of the cliff and they'll they'll disappear down like um 
like Hans Gruber at the end of Die Hard. <laughs> and I just really hope it's, it's next week um, because they just can't keep me in this jammy forever. But uh, but they are what they are. Um, it's football, so I'm not taking anything for granted. And it's not just football, but it's Champions League semi-final. So it's an incredibly tough match, an incredibly difficult one. But we have got no reason to feel anything other than supremely confident, I think. Yeah, Casemiro's back, and that's a, that's a concern for me because they hugely missed him in the first leg. That aside, I'm, I'm with you all the way on this. Um, Joe, how significant is that one goal advantage? How, how much will it kind of dictate the narrative, particularly in that first kind of 20 minutes? Um, I think it is significant because ultimately you go into, you know, one of the the giants of European football with, with a lead and I think we would have all taken that prior to kick off yeah. it's just obviously because of how it, the game transpired um, also worth noting there's been a few reports online that um, Alaba may be missing so whilst Casemiro's coming back in right. that could be a loss for them um, in equal measure um, but to answer your question yeah of course you'd rather be going there with a lead than it say if it finished 4-4 you know what I mean then, then it really could be Squeaky bum time, but no, I'm, I'm confident. I think so much of my confidence is based on hopefully Touchwood having their uh, walker back because I think that nullifies so much of their threat yeah. in terms of winning the ball in transitions. And I'm sure we'll come on to do a little bit of a review, but I'm, I'm, I'm quietly confident that it won't be such a ping pong kind of mental game and that we'll be able to, to firmly stamp our authority on it and, and dictate the, the game rather than allowing it to, turn into a bit of a five-a-side match at times. Yeah, I mean, I'm slightly conflicted on that, only as regards to when you look at Chelsea and the result they got there, um, and just how kind of porous their defence is, or, you know, when when it's properly got at. Um, Maybe it's the best approach for City to be City, but common sense just tells us that exactly, as you say, we need to dictate the rhythm, we need to dictate kind of everything about that game and just really kind of take control of it as as we can and as we do so so many times. Um but yeah, there's just that niggling part of me where thinks, yeah, just go at them. You know, the the weak at the back. It, okay, if it could turn if, if it turns into a three two, so be it. Let's just really go at them. But we'll see. Yeah, I think City City have this mad way of almost Forgetting what they're about in these Champions League games. Yes, we do. Like we're all about we're all about control and, yeah. and dictating the game. And then you look at some of the games where we've ultimately fell foul, whether it be Monaco, whether it be Tottenham at home, where we just turn these games into basketball into games and yeah. Kevin Keegan affairs. I'm, I'm, yeah. We just need to to do what we what we do and dictate the play. Yeah. I know it's easier said than done, but that's how I see it. Looking at the other game, Ali, do you see any hope for Villarreal in pulling off a shock in Spain or basically at Liverpool are they as good as through? They're good as through. I see. <laughs> I mean, again, as I said a moment ago, it's football and it's a Champions League semi-final and anything can happen. But beyond that, you know, crumb of comfort, is, I, I think it's absolutely nailed on. Liverpool are through. I don't think they've got any, any worries whatsoever. Um, so, yeah, yeah, bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm in, in in the first leg, um, in the kind of WhatsApp, everyone was kind of having a go at me for watching it. They were like, why are you put yourself through this? <laughs> it's inevitable, but like, you know, crumb of comfort. Yeah, it is just that crumb of hope. It's like, it might happen, you just don't know, but it felt inevitable, and this one feels almost inevitable. In which case, and I, I want both of you to answer this, um, we'll start with you, Joe, first. Liverpool City, Champions League final. 
How would you how would you feel about that? Do you feel excited by the prospect or nervous about the prospect? And would you rather avoid that happening? Uh, a mixture of all of the above, really. I think that the reality is these are the two great teams of this modern era, and it's not just a Premier League um, issue anymore. It's now clearly the two best teams in Europe. Yeah. Um, I think should we overcome Real Madrid, the reality is we're going to be playing Liverpool in the final, and it's what it's all about. <clears throat> you can look at it from from an apprehensive standpoint and be be nervous, but if you want to be the champions of Europe at some point, you're going to have to be one of, if not the best team in Europe. And unfortunately for us, it's Liverpool. It's a direct, you know, domestic rival, which adds a bit more apprehension. But if we want to be champions of Europe, we're going to have to do it. As simple as that. So bring it on. We've got the means. We've got the players. We've got the manager. You know, we, we tend to, to do well and control games against Liverpool well with our uh, strongest team out. So see no reason why, you know, we can do it. Ali, if it was Bayern, for example, City Bayern in a final, I would feel very different um, than if you know, City v Liverpool. And so much of that really is, you know, as as formidable as, as Liverpool are, as phenomenal as Liverpool are. Um, it's not really what happens on the football pitch, it's what happens off the pitch and the kind of, you know, the yeah. before and and after with the fans. Is that the same with you? Frankly, can you be arsed with any of that? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. I mean, to, to answer your, your original question first, um, how do I feel about City and, uh, oh, how do I feel about City playing Liverpool in Champions League final? I feel a lot better about that than I do about Real Madrid playing Liverpool in the Champions yeah, League final. Yeah, so let's count our blessings. Yes. Big glad, big glad yeah, of where we are. Absolutely. Um, and, and still obviously fingers crossed and touching every bit of wood in the, uh, in the near vicinity that, that we do get past Real Madrid next week. Um, so yeah, let's get that out of the way. We, this actually came up in one of these pods a, a few weeks ago when, when it was a little bit more of a, uh, um, not remote possibility, but it seemed less, um, probable than it does now. And what I said then, I think I still stick by it is that um, while the actual prospect of the head-to-head match between City and Liverpool uh, only a few weeks from now in Paris is absolutely terrifying, almost overwhelmingly huge, um, at the same time, I feel that this era of football needs the showpiece final between City and Liverpool, ideally a Champions League final. Um, If we got through to the end of Pep Guardiola's tenure and the end of Jurgen Klopp's tenure, um, and that final had never happened, it would feel like there was a chapter missing from the end of the book. Um, so, you know, it, 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 who knows, before uh, the end of those guys' tenures, there might be we have two, three, four finals between these two teams because I, I really do think um, Liverpool and City are now a class apart from every other football team in Europe and on the planet, I suspect. Um, so, yeah, um, it may not be the last time, but I think it is important or kind of it feels necessary that, that we have won. And, yeah, as you say, the... All the um, anxieties and, and the issues I have around it are not really about the football match itself. Uh, they are all about all the bullshit that goes with it. Um, you know, hopefully, by the time we get to a Champions League final, if we get to a Champions League final, um, the Premier League will already be wound up. And I very much hope we would still be talking about a Liverpool quadruple every third sentence mm. in the commentary. Um, you know, if, if we have won the title by that time, um, I think it will change the 
energy. You know, the, it, it will change the narrative around the the fixture, depending who has well, actually either way, depending who has won the uh, the league, it's going to massively change the narrative around the fixture. Mm. Um, but it, it's what we're here for. I mean, I, I think I've said this, made the same point every pod have been on for the last few weeks. This is where we want to be. These are the games we want to be playing. This is the position we want to be in. And I would much rather be where we are now, looking at these possible games coming up in, in the weeks to come uh, than, you know, being where United are now. Yeah. So uh, yeah. keep clinging to that, keep telling myself that. Um, and, you know, I'd, the one-off game in Paris uh, feels a bit different. I would hate to have to do another semi-final against Liverpool. We have to go to Anfield and all the yeah. bollocks around buses and all of that kind of stuff going on. It's like, no. I think there's something about a one-off game, a showpiece final in, in one of the great cities of the world, you know, with fans sharing the Eurostar all the way. Um, you know, that, that will be different. It's something we haven't done. Uh, and it kind of, the, the, yeah, it does feel almost like there's an inevitability to it. Uh, you know, if it doesn't happen this year, it will happen soon. Yeah. I- a friend of ours is getting married this weekend and uh, me and Hannah were talking this week about that and, and we kind of look back on our wedding and specifically the nerves in, in the days leading up to it. Um, and, you know, I, I just recalled how nervous I was and how, you know, the, the day seems so imposing and so, you know, huge. And then, of course, it turned out to be you know one of the best days of my life because, you know, weddings are and this is a football equivalent of that, isn't it? Of course, you're going to be in that week leading up to it. Should we reach a final? We are just going to be a bag of nerves. Um, but that, this is what we live for. This is what we got into football for. This is what the, we the key point football. for me. Yeah. Key point for me, Steve, is that if we were to lose that match against Liverpool, it would be absolutely devastating. It would be one of the worst defeats I've ever had to face as a football yeah. fan. If we win, it's similarly amazing. It would be the most exciting and wonderful thing that's ever happened in my uh, my life as a, yeah. a football fan. Um, and and you've got to take the rough with the smooth. You don't get those highs without the risk of those lows. And, and it's, the, it's the possibility of the low that makes the high so high. So, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, I'm, I'm just picturing now the, the review part. And it would very <laughs> much be different if we win or lose. By I way. think we're going to have to do another one of those like 12-hour marathons for the good <laughs> bike or something. Yeah, get out of our system. <laughs> Before um, Real Madrid, of course, we got Leeds, Ellen Road, um, lunchtime kickoff. There's there's a lot of things that are kind of unsettling me about this game. Um, but before we get to that, let's look at the the lineup predictions. Joe, it's inconceivable, isn't it, that Walker, even if he were fit, that he's going to start. I mean, if he's in a good shape, which I believe he is, he's going to be kept back from Madrid, isn't he? So my goal going to the green a bit here. I think. I think Walker is probably the most naturally gifted athlete in our squad and I think he's very much someone who can be trusted uh, I can probably hear the apprehension in, in you guys as I, as I go <laughs> into this in that he, Pep would probably back now I'm not saying he will do but Pep would probably back him to go in and do a job now I'm not saying that'll be the case I think he, he, he may well possibly come off just to get some come on even sorry to get some minutes in his legs um, if he's on the bench but from from an athletic standpoint, I think he would back himself to to almost go straight into any game because of he's just a ridiculous athlete, isn't he? Um, but in terms of protecting the nature of the injury he's had, um, no, I don't think he'll start. I think first and foremost, I hope he's you know fit and available in the squad because that means he'll be good to go next week. Yeah. But, 
Um, no, I think you're much more likely to see him come in maybe 65, 70 minutes, um, you know, just to get some minutes in his legs. That'd be the if ideal fit. scenario. If it, absolutely. I was going to make a joke then about, you know, not needing Kyle anyway with Dan James, but I'm aware that in the last part I said that Watford, no Watford defender scored this season and then one of them goes yeah. to score against us. So I don't want to get known as a jinx. So yeah, Dan James, fabulous footballer. I'm very worried about him this weekend. <laughs> um Ali, what about the rest of the kind of a defence? Uh, Cancelo expect right back, Zinchenko left back. Pretty straightforward, is it? Or is that you expecting any surprises? I, th- uh, I think it's a needs must kind of lineup at the back. Um, what, I mean, the Walker thing. Just to, to have my say, um, this is one of those that I would be looking to the men in white coats and the guys who are on the machines that go ping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, how many red zones is he in? But the houses. Uh, the strength in his leg and ankle or whatever else. Uh, all of those things we don't know. Um, you know, is it more important that he gets minutes in his legs and gets you know, absolute peak match fitness or is it more important that he protect the injury? Um, I think only the club doctors can answer that question. So uh, it's a factor, but I don't feel confident to answer it. And beyond that is, yeah, I mean, I presume Stones is out. Um, Aki, um, I, I mean, uh, with, with respect to the whole team selection um i think there will be quite a, a lot of rotation between uh last tuesday and next wednesday i wouldn't be at all surprised if at the start of the week that we've just had pep took aside the players that were not going to start on tuesday night and told them right i want you guys to focus entirely on saturday don't even think about the madrid game yeah. you're not playing your focus is on winning that game against leeds at past five on saturday and um you know maybe aki was in that conversation as well and if we want to uh basically win every game we play between now and the end of may on the way hopefully to a champions league final and, and a, a premier league title uh we have to use the full depth of our squad. We have to be rotating. Mm. We can't just play the same uh, eleven. You know, start the same eleven players every three days and hope that they will all make through. We're already seeing players breaking down more often than we'd like. Um, so I think there will be some rotation, and that might include at the back as well, um, giving maybe Laporte uh, the the day off and, and Aki in instead. Um, I, I don't know. Um, I don't mind too much. I do, I do trust Pep with that. Uh, thankfully, we've got a lot more options uh, uh, on Saturday than we did on, on Tuesday night. Um, the fullback situation is you know a lot is eased yes. a lot when Kinsella yeah. was there. Uh, so I'm not particularly worried about that. Whatever whatever Pep picks will be fine. I'm sure, uh, but I, I think it will be with half an eye to next week as well. Joe, a lot of people are thinking Jack Grealish is going to start at Allen Road. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm one of those. Um, where I really am conflicted is Gundo, because you know surely he'll have a part to play in Madrid uh, if we're going to be looking to control that game. Um, but he's kind of due a game. He's, he, he, this is the kind of fixture that you can imagine him being kind of starting in. Um, and then behind them, Rodri or Ferner. Is it, does it have to... Is it a shoo-in for Rodri, or does it make sense to play Fernandinho in this type of fixture? Um, where, where do you fall on specifically, kind of Gundo and the Rodri Ferner kind of debate? Um, 
to be honest, I think I think Fernandinho. I know, obviously, he played completely out of position, but he looked quite sharp against against Madrid. He's obviously got some minutes in his leg recently, so I wouldn't be loath to see him start at Ellen Road. I think yeah. he's got experience. It's a type of game where they can be a bit headless chicken esque, um, and and he can almost dictate the play because he's savvy in that regard. Um, so. I wouldn't be surprised at all if if he went with Fernandinho rather than Rodri. Um, Gundogan uh, just in front, and I do think um, Kevin will will start just because of the form he's in, and and I, and I know that may send a shiver down the spine, but we've still got to approach this as one game at a time. Madrid's next week. This is a game, you know, we're going for the title here. We, yeah. we need to win. So. As far as I'm concerned, Kevin needs to be starting. Um, Gundo needs minutes. Get him in. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if he went with Fernandinho. Really wouldn't. Mm. But also, equally wouldn't surprise me if he went with Rodri. I think he's very much going to approach it on a game-by-game basis, Pep. So if he went completely full strength, it's not really going to surprise anyone, is it? Yeah, I think a lot of it falls down to um, you know what Luke said there with a, with a kind of a scientist in white coats and then machines that go ping. It really, you know, in terms of say Rodri, for example, um, if he's kind of coasting along quite nice and fit right now, then yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't expect Gundo to start out next week in Madrid, um, so I think that would be essentially giving him a shoe in to, to start yeah. this game. Okay. Um, Looking at it from the opposition perspective, uh, Leeds have improved considerably under Marsh. Um, nine games unbeaten, and they've got a habit of scoring late goals as well. Ali, how much does the situation concern you as regards to Leeds? So it's going to be a raucous Ellen Road, and it's a lunchtime kickoff, and we've got Madrid in kind of four days after. Put all those together, and it's kind of, you know, it's very different from our kind of comfortable 7 0 trouncing a few months back, isn't it? Yeah, well, first of all, just while I uh, sort out my schedule for the weekend, it's a T10 kickoff, isn't it? Oh, Christ <laughs> almighty. I am that focused on Liverpool losing. <laughs> yeah, it's the 5 30 tomorrow. Of course, it? It, well, I, I, yeah, yeah I, I typed it wrong in the agenda, but yeah. Yes. Uh, right, got that out of the way. I'm just checking, just checking. Um, beyond that, no, I mean, I think uh, you don't expect any easy games in Premier League in game week 35, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Whoever you're playing, it's almost certain that it's somebody who's um, battling off a relegation threat or someone who's competing for the European place or whatever it is. Um, yeah, there aren't there aren't any uh, teams on the beach uh, in this week of April. Um, so with that in mind, uh, it leads, hmm, am I more worried about this one than I am about Newcastle the week after? Probably not. Um, I think Leeds have changed from being a team which I will fully admit I didn't quite understand under Bielsa. Um, I fully fully accept the uh, the wisdom of, of people who know enough, not, an awful lot more about the game than I do that Bielsa is out his own kind of managerial genius. Um, what I saw was a kind of chaos, particularly in mm. this season, um, and patterns which didn't make any sense to me. Uh, and you know, particularly, he kind of seemed to be you know, pressing in, in hexagonal shapes and all sorts of weird things that I've never seen any other manager do. Uh, Leeds have now become a, an absolutely, um, what's the word? I'd, Traditional uh, uh, sort of mid-table Premier League team. They're playing a, a 
broadly a, a two three or four two three one kind of setup. Yeah. It all kind of makes sense. Um, they've got one absolutely outstanding winger or, or wide player in, in Rafinha. Um, I kind of I've got a lot of respect for the other players around. I think the fact that uh, Calvin Phillips is back has been back since last weekend is huge for them. Um, it will make them a lot more solid and a lot harder to break down. And I think the reason they they I didn't actually watch the the game. I only saw the highlights, but and there weren't many of those. Um, but they dragged a nil nil at a Palace at uh, the beginning of the week, and I think the fact that Calvin Phillips was was there maybe yes. had a large part to do with that. Uh, so I'm not expecting an easy game at all. Uh, there was a quote I saw from Jesse Marsh said something like he was really pleased with how they they would bend but didn't break against Palace, which kind of summed up. The approach that I'm sure he will take tomorrow as well. They will they will try and just soak everything up, um, and I'm guessing they will yeah basically be playing for a nil nil and and uh, with a vague hope they might catch us in the break, but they will not be adventurous. Uh, they're still missing a, a top class striker. Um, you know, without Bamford, they they haven't been the same team. Uh, and yeah, they're 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 a decent mid-table Premier League team. And as I said at the beginning, you don't get any easy games, and it will not be an easy game. Uh, but there's absolutely, uh, yeah, to quote myself earlier, there, there's no reason to be anything other than confident going in going into the game tomorrow. You know, we should have the beating of them. Yeah, it's bloody typical, isn't it, that, that Phillips is back though for this, and um, because they've just not been the same team without him. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm back. I'm back, guys. I'm and, and professional Ali there, kind of covering superb work. So. I'll be honest, I didn't even know. Oh, did <laughs> oh wonderful. Um, <laughs> Joe, we were just talking about Leeds there and the potential kind of um, threat they pose uh, or otherwise. Um, for you, kind of, how much have you seen of them recently? How different a team are they to that mess of a side, basically, that we kind of walloped by seven a few months back? I think he's, he's very much just taking them back to basics um, in that they're much more compact. They're not as gung-ho. They're not uh, running themselves into the ground. I think Bielsa, he, he's very much um, an impact manager in that he has these incredible philosophies. Uh, but I think once you start getting past 18 months, two years, yeah. they can almost run the players down into the ground. And I think that's why teams, especially teams who can pick you off like Liverpool City, found them so easy to play against. I think Marsh is very much of a pragmatist and he's taken them back to a more of a, a solid base build out they've got players like Rafinha and James with pace who can hurt you um, but the reality is uh, without sounding arrogant they're still a very average Premier League side um, and I think City regardless of the fact it's not going to be as easy because naturally they're not as open so there's not as much space for us to play in I think it's going to be more of a stereotypical what we kind of face when we go into these games um, they're going to look to hit us on the break uh, they're going to look to, to try and get them behind our high line but reality is we should dictate the play and, and we'll get opportunities and we've just got to take them when, when they come is how I'm seeing it well so you and Ali kind of are in alliance with it and, and I guess I am too I think they may be a touch more adventurous than that but only a touch um, so score prediction Joe um, I'm going to go for 2-0 City professional okay. win I'm going to go for yeah, I, I fancy it. Well, I'll go for 2-1 City. Um, Ali, a score prediction? Oh, Ali's muted himself and he's not here anymore. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh there we go. I, I'm there. I, oh, gosh, sorry, I'd muted myself. I forgot. Uh, 
we're, we're master of the technical art of podcasting here in 93. I, I love that I called you professional <laughs> less than five minutes ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what was the question? Oh, yeah, score prediction. I was I was going to say 2-0 until uh, Joe suggested 2-0, and then I was going to say 2-1 until you said 2-1. So to keep things interesting, I'll say 3-1. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Um, okay, let's, let's talk about City's need for a striker because we haven't done that this season. It's not emerged anywhere. No one's been mentioning it. I don't know why. Now, the reason I kind of put it in the agenda because I'm seeing a lot of, now that we're on the final straight, there's a lot of pundits having an essay, obviously, and, and dissecting the fixtures that, that they're ahead and where, you know, how both teams have got to this point. And Jamie Carragher, to be fair, did a really good job of it on Monday Night Football a week before last. But what he and many others have said is, kind of the hypothesis that had we had a Sergio Aguero in his prime, City would be out of sight this season. Um, so just kind of want each of your thoughts on that, really. Joe, would you go along with that? If if we had a 28-year-old Sergio Aguero fit and, and raring to go all season, would we be beyond Liverpool's grasp right now? Um, I think it's a fairly constructive argument to make because we do create an incredible volume of chances and, and you would expect that some of the, the ones we've missed. So for example, the one that sticks out in my mind is, if you think back to when we played Liverpool at um, the Etihad, we, we talk about the chances we missed, but it wasn't so much the chances we missed for me. There was four or five occasions where we put we played the ball across their six-yard box because we've got so many technical players, they're almost on the same wavelength of trying to create that chance, yeah. but none of them took that risk. So it's not even necessarily the chances we miss, it's the ones that don't aren't even a chance, if you know what I mean, that yeah. Aguero would take a gamble on. Um so from that perspective, yeah, I think I think um I think we would probably be I'm not saying we'd be out of sight because the false nine system with the players we have also has its positives in that you, you do lose something slightly, I think, when a striker comes in. Um mm. that some of the other players give us, but I, I do think we'd be better off maybe another three or four points on the board. Um, which could argue would be out of sight at this stage. But um listen, a twenty eight year old Aguero is one of the greatest players <laughs> yes. in the history of the game, isn't he? So it's almost obviously. a trick question, isn't it? Would you like twenty eight year old Sergio Aguero in your squad? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ali, where do you fall on it? Uh I think it's bold to say that we would have had many more points. Uh, and we'd be that far, much further ahead with an Aguero or a you know, top-notch striker, um, largely because we're heading for what ninety-five point ninety-four points something mm. um, yeah. with with what we're going and and yeah, we have scored a hundred before. You know, <laughs> it's really difficult to do that, and it's, it's tiny margins. Um, and as you know, Joe rightly said, you you lose things when you play with a uh, you know straightforward number nine centre forward as well. There's less creativity. Some of those chances that have been either you know chances that have been created or balls that have been put across the six yard box with no one there to tap it in, uh, those balls wouldn't have been played had there been a number nine because the players would have been in a different different uh place in the pitch. Um for all of that, uh we're brought back to the question is it better to play football with uh, an out-and-out striker, centre-forward, uh, or with the kind of false nine that City have been playing for the last, um, yeah, pretty much two years now. Yeah. Um, and for me, I think our false nine approach has been uh, has been born out of needs must. 
Uh, we haven't really wanted to play that, and we probably wouldn't have been uh, had you know, our our squad in the, you know comings and goings worked out differently. Mm. Uh, and what we're really looking forward to is, is ahead to next year, and the assumption that we have got uh, you know at least one in Alvarez coming in, and, and very possibly two with the uh, the big Norwegian goal for all uh, on his way. <laughs> cool. Um, how does that change us? Um, for me, I think this is, this would be the beginning of a new Guardiola team. Uh, things would have to change, possibly you know to a certain extent in personnel. Some you know a few others will go out as, as well as some coming in, um, but also the way we play has to change. Um, whether that becomes uh, Phil Foden become more of an out, out and out wing, old fashioned winger, you know those kind of things. People, the, yeah. the way in which people change play will change, um, and I think that's kind of probably necessary. If you look at the great football managers over the years and the great football teams, um, every three, four, five years they do have a change of character. They have a change of key personnel, and they they need to change the way that they're playing. Um, I think that is as it should be, and it's probably you know Manchester City have probably about due one of those kind of at least partial reinventions. Yeah, can I just touch yeah, on that? Go. Sorry, um, <clears throat> there's an element that that we lose sight of with this, in that in my years watching City since we've deployed this false nine system, I've never gone and watched us at whether it be Anfield away, Stamford Bridge, um, and I know we didn't necessarily win all of these games, um, Old Trafford. And the sheer dominance of us dictating the play and never looking like, for example, we went to Stamford Bridge in September when a lot of people were um, kind of building them up to almost dethrone City and Liverpool and, and be the new kids on the block. And we absolutely schooled them tactically. They couldn't get near us. And I think there's an element of, of this false nine system they're, they're what I'll look back on because we will lose an element of that when a Haaland comes into the team, Touchwood yeah. or or a striker, because <clears throat> those games they were almost comfortable, and I've never seen a City team even under Pep in the years when we had a hundred points, you, you still felt liable when you went to a Stamford Bridge or an Anfield that something could go wrong. And I know we drew at Anfield this year, but the reality is we we completely dictated the play in that game, yeah, and that's due to the technicians that are in those positions. So we will lose an element of that, and they'll, they'll become more. Almost fifty, not fifty-fifty-ish, but there'll be more risk involved. Um, but I think where it'll benefit us is the other games where we've had Southampton at home, Crystal Palace home and away. They're a game where a Sergio Aguero would bang two or three, and absolutely. wouldn't think anything of. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and there has been games, of course, when Sergio you know was fit and firing where he wasn't played because Pep wanted to have that control and did play with kind of a false nine. So we, we do have an option yeah. you know next season. We can revert back to this. And it is kind of a template that the players are familiar with. So they could drop into it should we go to, let's say, Old Trafford and we just want to take the piss and have eighty percent possession again, which is always yeah. a wonderful thing to see. So I mean those Stanford Bridge and Old Trafford performances were literally akin to training sessions almost. Yeah, they were, they were, we were just in total cruise control from from start, specifically Old Trafford because they're a basket case of a football team at the minute. But yeah. but um, Stamford Bridge at the time that was a high stakes pressure game. They'd just beaten us in the final of the Champions League. Everyone was touting them up to kind of knock us off our perch, and we, we absolutely schooled them. So 
Yeah, just just what I get some final brownie points in for the false nine system. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, before we go, I just want to quickly touch on, uh, and very quickly as well, because it kind of feels like ancient history now, but uh, last week after Liverpool won the uh, Merseyside derby, the Premier League released uh, a tweet, put a tweet out saying, one step closer. The one was like um, a hand emoji with a finger in the air, um, and it contained four very celebratory photos of Liverpool players uh, in victory. Uh, 24 hours earlier, when City had won 5-1, their tweet was as neutral as it is possible to get. It was something like, Gabby Jesus scores for a City extend their lead at the top of the Premier League. Um, A lot of City fans were really kind of quite angry about this tweet from Premier League. It just seemed celebratory, like they were in Liverpool's corner. It really wasn't their place to do that. Ali, what, what did you make of a tweet? In all honesty, I thought it was fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> when I, 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 did a, I did a literal laugh out loud when I saw it, just because it was such a mask off moment. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, yeah, we should uh, we should say for the record, whether this makes it better or worse, but the Premier League deleted it about two days later. It took them quite yeah. a while, but they they did eventually delete it. Um, and I presume what had happened is that uh, uh, a social media monkey, whoever had been driving their uh, social media account from from the FA, uh, from the Premier League, um, just got ahead of himself or herself uh, and let their actual true feelings come out. Oh, and I then they had then they had a number of uh, a number of heated meetings behind the scenes, and, and someone uh, you know pulled the plug in the tweet eventually. Um, but I think uh, in as a reflection of how the uh, the English football establishment feels about the the state of the Premier League and and state of English football at the moment, it was very very revealing. Um, there's absolutely no doubt that the the industry of Premier League football is desperate for Liverpool to win. Uh, they think it is more uh, lucrative and and it will keep more of their customers happy. And it's an in, you know I'm I'm sure their uh, celebration it might be there's a little bit of a you know a, a, an actual Liverpool fan running the account in in that particular Premier League tweet. But as a as a general uh, trend here you know, in the big picture, what's actually going on? Is that the industry of football uh, can make a lot more money out of Liverpool mm. doing well than they can make out of City doing well, and that's what motivates them. It's about the you know the strength and the health of their brand, um, and of course the 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 flip side of that is whenever City do well and whenever City win the the Premier League or any other cup or title or whatever it might be, it really boils their piss, and that just makes me so happy to know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I I much prefer it when they're mask off with this stuff, and you can actually see quite clearly what they're doing and why, than when it's a, a bit more low key and underground, and and it, it uh, it's just kind of permeating every uh, you know the the tone of of what. The, the, the broadcasters are saying and the journalists are writing and, and the, uh, the, the officials in the game are, are intimating at in their every move. Um, we, we all know what, uh, how they feel about City. They all know how they feel about the, uh, the Abu Dhabi City project. Um, and, you know, the more upset about our success they are, the happier I am. <laughs> um, Joe, there was a lot of blues generally I rate at the tweet and there was some blues less so but still a few I saw kind of knocking around saying well hang on you know let's kind of 
save our fire here for the for the big kind of battles. This isn't this isn't a big deal. Uh, where did you kind of fall on it? Um, so so I kind of break the the whole media situation down into two components, um, and the way I break it down is as follows. So essentially, I view the media in that you've got a generation of journalists or, or pundits, broadcasters um, that are probably permeated largely by ex-Manchester United or Liverpool players and or supporters when they were growing up because we've had a combined 40 years of those two teams um, dominating prior to the last 10. Uh, and the second component is <clears throat> a lot of the mo- modern um, media uh, and subscriptions, etc., are either driven by clicks um, or driven by targeting a specific audience. Now, when when you look at the two biggest um, components of that audience um, in terms of numbers, the Manchester United and Liverpool fans, that that's just the reality. So, if you write a negative story about Manchester City. You're going to get more clicks and traction from our detractors, i.e. Manchester United and Liverpool fans, than you are happy City fans. Now, it's shit from a City perspective, but that's just the reality as I see it. I think you've got journalists who who probably paint up negative views of City sometimes who don't necessarily believe in themselves or or totally subscribe to the theory, but it just makes better business sense for for their employer and, and, and their almost how they conduct themselves to, to take that approach so if you if you if you're looking to generate the most income <clears throat> you're going to pander to the largest audience that that's going to click on your content that that's just how i see it i'm not saying it's a fact it's just how i i, I would it. sorry to interject but i would actually from my own experience and uh, i've encountered exactly that there, there was um a company that i work for who I was doing kind of previews of the Premier League and writing about the Premier League, but I'd obviously been a City fan, I would pitch more about City stories and City angles. And then over time, I just began writing about City. And I got in touch with them at one point and kind of said, you know, about this. And they said, no, no, you just keep plowing on. Their words were basically, no one else is writing positive stuff about City. So because you're the only one doing it, it's doing great numbers. And, yeah. and that really struck home with me. Yeah, I thought, wow, yeah, there is actually a market out there. If I if I step back and look at it quite coldly, there's a market out there for writing positively about City because no one else has been allowed to in the media. How ridiculous <laughs> yeah. I is mean, that? I mean, it's a depressing statistic from a City fan, but I think, oh, as a City perspective, but I think you've almost just got to accept it's not going to change unless unless we're established for another 10, 15 years, which touch wood we will be, and there's no reason to believe we won't be, mm. then that's when you'll start seeing City ex-players and, and pundits start to permeate and yeah. you may get a change then. But I think the reality is, I mean, I remember during the cast case, um, Stefan is obviously a contributor to this podcast. He did an excellent piece, um, if you recall, regarding um, the technicalities of the case. And he basically called out it was going to transpire at Cass. Mm. Um, and Miguel Delaney got hold of it and totally dismissed it and then looked a complete dick when it <laughs> did indeed transpire that way. But there's no accountability for them, is there? You know, he's still, mm. by dismissing that, pandered to his audience. So it's not going to change. Um, and I've almost, I don't let these things bother me anymore. They used to, because I, I used to believe the media was a level playing field and they were just, you know, they were independently reporting on each club, but that's not the reality. Yeah. For no. the reasons I've stated. Uh, uh, I used to think that there is something. 
Yeah, so something I try and try and persuade people of the the truth of on a fairly regular basis. Um, if people imagine that the uh, media, football media, has an obligation to be impartial, uh, and the truth is they don't. There, there's no, there's certainly no legal obligation. There's no um, particular ethical or moral obligation, and um, they are per- you know both within the the. Uh, the terms of journalistic ethics and media law and and broadcasting rules and all the rest of it, they are under no obligation to be neutral in football whatsoever. Um, what they are under an obligation to do is to make money for their employers, whatever they are. Exactly. And, and Joe is absolutely right in everything you've said, mate. Um, the reason the British media particularly uh, is so hostile to City and, and so supportive of Manchester United and and uh, Liverpool, especially, um, is because there's a market for it. Um, and as you rightly said, Steve, as well, you know, there, there is also a market for city content, particularly if nobody anywhere is providing it, because then you get all the city fan clicks. Yeah. But by and large, but ultimately, football media, um, is not a service. It is not a, a force for good in the world. It is a force for making money out of the game. Um, and once we understand that, then everything that they do makes a lot more sense. I mean, you saying that, I mean, I completely agree about, you know, the, the no obligation to be impartial whatsoever, but that really brings us neatly back to the Premier League tweet because they do have an obligation. They do, absolutely. Yeah, that, yeah, that was the key right. difference for me. Yeah. But my point was it, it didn't surprise me because it's probably like a, it come back to the first kind of component I said is that it's permeated. That's probably just some some young yes. um, social media editor who sports Liverpool. And he's got a bit giddy. But I mean, I, I can't believe it. Yeah, as long, unless he was his first week on the job, I can't believe that person did that though. Because I do social media for uh, a clothing company and and you know football clothing company, and you know what what you can and can't get away with. You know, I, just yeah. just a little insight into that. I put one up the other day. It was just, uh, the anniversary of a Gerard slip and the Dennis Law back heel. Both on the oh, same day. So, <laughs> I know, I know. So I, I put it up on, on the company kind of Facebook and Twitter and said, which was the funniest. Because I, I thought, hang on a minute, I could get away with Scott Free because, you know, I'm taking a piss out of both equally. But no, no, I got loads of people going, are you a fucking City fan? And, <laughs> and they go, no, no. What do you mean, no? But yeah, I got caught out on that one. But there you go. Um, right, guys, I really do. Oh, sorry, Joe, go on. I think just just to kind of brush up on this and finish off, it, um, I, I'd be intrigued. But if you got a, if you could do a survey of all of Sky Sports subscribers and you combined the total number of Manchester United and Liverpool subscribers, I, I, I wouldn't surprise me if half at least those it. combined outnumbered yeah. all the other clubs. Yeah. So when you look at it purely from a finance perspective like that, of course they're going to pan the team. It's, yeah. it's it's crap, but. I, I also believe we'll just I know I'm diverting here but with BT the thing that makes me sane because otherwise their coverage of Liverpool is just so bizarre and cultish that it would drive me insane but what gets me through is they are purposely trying to start up a relationship as regard like Sky had with Manchester United it's, it's crystal clear for me clearly there's been meetings at BT where they've discussed this uh, they are so pro Liverpool that they're basically trying to start up uh, you know United and Sky had which worked brilliantly for both club and, and broadcaster so yeah it's business isn't it it's it's annoying but it's business one thing I will say is that I, I, I really noticed sometimes I've been watching dodgy streams around the world which um, I, I do in the uh, in the interest of research and science and whatever, um, if you get an American, if you get an American stream or even you know a, a commentary from Ireland or South Africa or whatever, you might find 
the difference in the coverage of City mm. and, and the way commentators talk about uh, City around the world to here in the UK is really marked and, and really striking. Um, yeah. And you know, where there, there's been times when I've you know I I've got a BT subscription at home. I pay more money than I should to uh, to be insulted by them on a regular basis. <laughs> yes, um, yeah, yeah. And sometimes and sometimes I will streak out uh, I will seek out an NBC stream and hope I get Peter Drury instead uh, just because it's yeah. so much better. Yeah, Peter Drury is just the man. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the pod, but when we did that charity pod and he came on and he gave us his time and he talked so eloquently about City and then he got in touch with me privately after to donate to the charity. It's, it's just, it's, Peter Drury is the man. I think if you, and this is my final thoughts because I know you need to wrap up, Steve, but if you look at, um, for example, when City went down to, at Stoke to the third tier, the commentary, mm. This this great institution, this great club, with all these honours, one of the biggest clubs to ever fall to this level. Mm. That's that was the general outlook because yeah. we we fit that part. Then now we're the party poopers who, who have um, had the gall to end the United Liverpool dominance of this country. Mm. How dare we? And there was always going to be a pushback, wasn't there? I mean, in hindsight, I've got to admit, I went into this naively, but in hindsight, of course there's going to be pushback. For exactly as you said there, for having the, the goal to do what we did. Um, right, guys, I really enjoyed that. And um, yeah, let's do this again very soon. Um, here's for a, a happy weekend, and it all depends on results, I guess. But thank you very much for joining me today, Ali. Absolute pleasure I've ever met. Thanks, Joe. No worries. Thanks for letting me uh, offer my tangent about our friends in the media. Anytime, <laughs> absolutely anytime. And just a very quick one before we go. Um, we are doing a night three twenty special to commemorate the kind of um, the anniversary of you know Guerrero and the QPR and all of that. We have got enough kind of interviews already lined up, but what we really want, if there's anyone out there who's just got a crazy, crazy story from that day, then please DM, get in touch by by however you, you wish because uh, we'd love to hear about a real crazy kind of story um okay that's a wrap for today folks we're off to figure out who the glareses are um if you don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> check it out online it's amazing in the meantime take care of yourselves be well and forever up the incredible blues